Well, I'm going to be continuing our theme this morning of light in the lead up to Christmas. Last week, as Ben preached to us, he showed us the whole sweep of the Bible and what it said about light and the light that Jesus brings as he comes into the darkness. And today we're just going to spend a little bit of time in one particular Old Testament passage, that of Isaiah chapter 9. So if you want to open up there to Isaiah chapter 9, I think that that will be helpful. As humans, we are ruled so often by our fears. And isn't this in large part why we are so busy this time of year? Fear of missing out missing out on the bargain that you see advertised and then go to the shops and it's not there. Fear of disappointment, of buying the bargain and the person you give it to not liking that bargain. Fear of meaningless, another year has rolled round and you think to yourself, what have I achieved? And we're often so scared of all these possibilities, meaningless, missing out, disappointment, and so we're so desperate to avoid them. And that's why we're so tired, so exhausted by scurrying around, trying to hide from our fears. And here's the thing. If we've been living our lives in this way, running from fear, driven by it, well, we tend not to see that. It just becomes normal. It becomes the way in which we live our lives. Have you ever been driving at dusk? And you keep driving, and for some strange reason, you're squinting, and the, uh, that which is before you seems ever so more difficult to see, and then you realise that you've forgotten to turn on your lights. This is so often the case with our lives. We run from our fears, this becomes normal, and if you like, this darkness becomes our normal. We're scared of the dark, distracted, and so we're unaware, desperate, and so we're in denial. See, the Bible's quite realistic when it speaks about our world. When it speaks about our world, it speaks about our world as a dark place. And what we're going to see today, or this morning, I hope, is that we'll never find our way We'll never see reality. We'll never realise that we don't have our lights on until we see Jesus as our light. This is a major theme in the Gospels, and in particular the Gospel of Matthew. You see up on the screen that Matthew quotes from Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, he says this in Matthew chapter 4, "...the people living in darkness have seen a great light." On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. We saw last week that this true light, the light that shines life into all men, we saw that last week from John chapter 1 verse 9, has come into our world in the person and in the birth of Jesus. And yet how is our world dark? Well, when the Bible speaks about darkness, it refers to both evil but also ignorance. There is a sense in which the way in which our world is dark is that we don't want to know the reality. 
We don't want to know quite how dark it is inside of ourselves and we don't want to know how dark it is outside of ourselves in the world. And so darkness has this sense of not just evil but also of willful ignorance. We've got a sense that things are pretty bad both within us and outside of us and yet we don't want to know, we don't want to go there, we don't want to touch that place in our lives or in our world. And yet into our darkness, quite clearly and quite obviously, the Bible speaks about a light coming. That's it in Isaiah chapter 2 verse 9. The people are walking in darkness. We see there in Isaiah chapter 9, there's a sense in which we're stumbling around in the dark. This section from the prophet Isaiah is a famous Christmas text. It's enshrined in Handel's Messiah and it rightfully speaks about Jesus' birth. But it's important that we understand the background of this prophecy because in the history of this minor nation of Israel, this minor nation in the ancient Middle East, God kept making major promises to this this minor nation. Firstly, in the Bible, we hear of the promise to Abraham that through this nation and through Abraham, the world will be blessed. Secondly, we hear similar promises to King David that his throne, that one from his throne, will lead the world into salvation. And yet, by the time the prophet Isaiah writes about 740 years before Jesus' birth, the descendants of Abraham, the descendants of David, well, they've given in to their fears. They're living in this darkness. God may have promised all these promises, but they don't see the light. They're walking in darkness. In the previous chapter, in Isaiah chapter 8, we read this, and you see it on the screen. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land when they are famished. They will become enraged and look upward, will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only the distressed and darkened darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. See the Israelites? They're running around. They're running around stressed. They're running around fearful, in darkness. They're crushed by this famine that's come on the land. They're crushed by all sorts of psychological and social problems and they're running everywhere, looking for solutions. And where do they look? Well, the most obvious place to find a solution to a human problem is, well, humanity. The nation of Israel looked to their intellectuals, they looked to mediums, they looked to spiritualists, and they say to themselves, we've got this. Yes, there's a problem, but we can overcome it. But the problem is, and the problem that we see in Isaiah, the more they try to sort out their problems, the more they realise there's a darkness, the deeper the darkness comes. And so we get to this situation where in verse 21 of Isaiah chapter 8, they curse God himself. They blame God for all their problems. 
They seek solutions in one another and they blame God for their problems. And I suggest to us this morning, this isn't too dissimilar to how we as humans operate today. We stake our hopes, our future so much in ourselves and in what we can do collectively. We stake so much hope in the state and in the government, in the market and in the economy, in technology and innovation. All these things promise to us a cure. They offer to us a solution. They act as saviours in our world because we know we're in darkness, we're stumbling, we're looking, but we cannot find. And this is the cycle that we find ourselves in when we attempt to find solutions to our problems in the market, in technology, in the state. It just becomes worse. You know what, Christmas is so often sentimentalised and sanitised, reduced to something like, you know, together we can make the, the world a better place. This is so often how we think of Christmas or how our world thinks of Christmas, just coming together to make the world a better place. We've tried it before. We tried it 640 years before Jesus came. We've tried it in the two centuries since he came. And when we seek the solution to our problems in one another, we descend deeper into darkness. You see, you have to understand the darkness in order to understand or to see the light. And so the Bible isn't sanitised. It's not cheery and rosy merely as we think about Christmas. No, the, the Bible has this, well, this uncomfortable reality to it. The people are walking in darkness. We too often walk in darkness. And what changes things? What changes things? Well, notice in Isaiah chapter 9, it doesn't say that from the world, light has dawned. We're up to uh, our third section in your outline, a light has dawned. Isaiah speaks about something interrupting this darkness. He speaks about a dawning in this dark world, and he's using the sun here as a symbol. Uh, We keep telling one another, you need to go outside because it gives you vitamin D to be in the sun, and this is a good thing. We recognise that the sun brings many benefits. But there are three benefits I want to speak of briefly that I think the sun helps us understand. They are life, truth, and beauty. Firstly, life. A light has dawned, Isaiah says, because the sun is so often... Well, it, the, sorry, the sun is the source of all life. You see, we as creatures, we as humans, I think to some extent recognise this. We recognise that we're dependent, that we actually need the sun. And in the same way that we as humans are dependent on the sun, the Bible also says that we as humans are dependent on the one who has made the sun, God himself. Only in God do we live, move and have our being, Acts 17. We exist as people. We breathe. Our hearts pump because he upholds us. And this is not only 
true physically, but this is also true spiritually. And this is one of the realities that the Bible brings. It says that we have lost what was originally ours. We have lost that right relationship with God that we had in the beginning. And this is the reason that eventually we all will know the physical reality of death. But it's also the reason why we experience, if you like, a spiritual kind of death now. Loss of meaning and hope. Addictions and disorders, these mark our world. And so death is not simply a physical reality. The lives we live and the lives that are lived in our world show us that our relationship with God has been distorted. There's been a darkening between the sun and us. That which we need to live has been interrupted. And so deep discontentment settles in. We can't be satisfied. Shame and guilt and the desperateless uh, hope, a lack of hope of an ability to change. And so the sun gives us light. But secondly, the sun shows us truth. You know what happens if you drive without your headlights on, not just at dawn, but in darkness. What happens is a car accident. Why? Because light reveals the reality of things, the truth of how they actually are. And without light, we're left in this clumsy darkness, unable to see, not wanting to see. We deceive ourselves and we are deceived by the darkness. But God, too, is the source of not just the sun as life, but also the sun as truth. You see in the screen in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, we read, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. This is how we live our lives. We live our lives in the lie, that we are in the light when we are in fact in darkness. And thirdly, the sun is beautiful. Yesterday, uh, our family went for a walk near the water down there at Cabarita, and the sun was setting, and on the side of the boats reflected on the water, and it was this beautiful kind of sight that grabbed our, or at least my attention for a moment. Because light is this, has this dazzling quality. This is why we have these lights up around the place. Uh, in Scandinavia, during winter, where light is minimal, this chronic and clinical depression comes upon Scandinavian countries and teenagers, as a form of rebellion, uh, become happy because they want to rebel against the depression of all the adults. Light is needed for joy. And so the sun is beautiful. The sun is beautiful because beautiful we need light for joy. God is the source of all beauty and joy. And so not only does he create us, but without him, there isn't the joy that we crave in our lives. We look for joy instead of God. We look for joy in lots of different places. We look for joy in sex. But in looking for joy in sex, we're looking for an intimacy of relationship. In music, we're looking for a harmony of body and soul. 
in a house that we desire or even have, we look for safety, comfort, and value. And yet all those things, sex, houses, music, don't satisfy us. Don't satisfy us for any extended period of time because they're not the place where ultimate satisfaction is found. See, the place where ultimate satisfaction is found is in God. And he offers satisfaction, true and lasting satisfaction for all eternity because he is the source of all intimacy, of all relationship. He is the source of harmony in body and soul. He is the source of comfort and safety and value. A light has dawned. A light has dawned, Isaiah is saying. We're in darkness. We're seeking light, but we cannot find it by ourselves, and so the light has to come to us. God alone has life, truth, and joy, the things that we're desperate for. And we'll look for it here. And if we can't find it, we'll manufacture it by trying to generate it ourselves. But this keeps us in darkness. And we only realise that we're in darkness when we see the light. And that's what Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 helps us to appreciate. Because it says there in verse 6, For us a child is born, to us a son is given. Do you see the directness of Isaiah chapter 9? It's telling us that this child, this little one who comes, he is the source of life. This little one is the source of truth. This little one is the source of joy, all wrapped in a baby. The darkness that we're in, the light that we seek, has come. Has come. In Isaiah's prophecy, this anticipates Jesus' birth 640 years before Jesus was born. And he comes as light. He comes as life because, why? Well, have a look there in Isaiah chapter 9 because he's a wonderful counsellor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father and he's the prince of peace. It's remarkable that Isaiah would describe this baby in these kinds of ways. Firstly, a human, but such a vulnerable human described in the way the Old Testament only describes God. Who is God in the Old Testament? Well, he is the mighty one. He is the wonderful counsellor. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. See, there is nothing like this claim in any other world religion. What we celebrate at Christmas is utterly unique. What we celebrate at Christmas is not something that we can reduce to a sentimentalised version of just live your life a little better. What we celebrate at Christmas, is that God has come into our darkness in the person and in the baby, Jesus. And he's come in that baby to bring a light and a life to man. He's come as a human, and yet what the Bible says is he's not merely a representation of God to humans. No, he is within that his humanity, he is God. I said just previously that um, we celebrate Christmas. Well, actually, that's a little misleading, isn't it? 
When I say we celebrate Christmas at this time, we celebrate Jesus' birth. We don't really celebrate it. I don't think. I think we stumble over it. We try and grasp hold of it at Christmas. We try to get our heads around what the Bible is saying, what has happened in history. We don't merely celebrate it. If we seek to understand it, we're lost in wonder. One theologian says that for us to understand what it is for God to come into our world in the person of Jesus, he says it's completely incomprehensible. And that doesn't mean that we should stop trying, but simply that we need an eternity in order to understand it. How can God reveal himself and to some extent make himself known? The God beyond us make himself known in a baby? Eternity in time. The immensity of God in space, the infinity in the finite, the immutable in change, being in becoming. This is the mystery that cannot be comprehended but can be gratefully acknowledged. And so there's two things that we need to do. Firstly, as we anticipate tomorrow, the celebration or the coming to grips with what it is for God to come to us in the birth of Jesus, there are two things we need to do. Firstly, we need to serve him. See, if Jesus himself is God, it's not something merely to acknowledge in our lives as nice. It's not something to think about as, well, we can like Jesus. When we read the Bible, the people who actually saw him, the people who experienced what it was to see and hear him were not indifferent to Jesus. They were either scared and furious or they knelt and worshipped him. See, Jesus isn't an ancient version of Anthony Robbins, an inspirational, motivational figure, you know, that he just wants to help you make your life better. At Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus is God. And if he is God, then we must serve him with everything in our lives. We must serve him. But secondly, we want to serve him. We want to serve him because he's a wonderful counsellor. This is where I'll close. People talk about their problems with counsellors. And counsellors know that empathy is key. What do people want? They want to be understood. They want to be heard. And if God has come to us, born in a manger, then we have something that no other religion even dares to claim. It's that God truly understands us. He truly understands us. He understands us from the inside of our experience, not from the outside looking in, but from the inside of our our experience. Because no other religion claims that God has suffered, that he knows what it's like to be abandoned by friends, to be crushed by injustice, to experience poverty and loss, to be tortured and to die. See, what Christmas shows us is that he knows exactly what every one of us are going through. It's not detached for God because he's come to us. He's lived the life that we have lived. He's come to us and he's come to our darkness. He's come to save us from our darkness.
by going to the cross. And he did that voluntarily. He did it freely. And he did it out of sheer love. And so we serve him because he is God. Not because we have to, but because it's a joy. Because he knows us. He knows us like no other. And so how does his light, who has come into our, into our darkness, become ours? Well, it's when we realise the depth of our darkness. That behind everything, behind our fears, behind our struggles, even behind our hopes, is a seeking for God. And this child has been born. But more than born, you'll see there in verse 6, he's been given. This son, this one who has come in the Lord Jesus, has been given as a gift. And when we trust in Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, we're saying that at the same time we don't trust in ourselves, in our own efforts, in our own attempts to grasp our way up to God. No, because he has come down to us. And so we receive this gift. We receive this gift knowing that we are unable in anything we do, in anything we have, and in in anything we are, to merit his favour. But we receive this gift from him. Verse 6, the son is given. Have you got a slightly awkward present at Christmas? Imagine you got a book about dieting from your mother. Now, what might you think from that gift? Well, some gifts just... You have to swallow your pride. There's nothing like a mother or mother-in-law to give you one of those slightly awkward gifts. Manny and I are watching this show at the moment. It's called The Kaminsky Method. Has anyone seen it? It's on uh, Netflix. It's very good. One of the characters, one of the the key characters in it uh, has this $300,000 tax debt and his wealthy friend offers to give him the money to save him uh, from jail and his business going down the drain. But this man, this man doesn't want to take the gift. No. Because even he says it. I've got too much pride to take a gift. No, he'll receive the help, but he'll receive it as a loan so he can pay it back. Friends, that's so often us, isn't it? The light has come. It doesn't need to be earned. God has given his son as a gift in the middle of our darkness. And if ever there was a gift that you had to swallow your pride, salvation in Jesus is it. Because none of us can pull ourselves together. We are all desperately lost and helpless. And so we simply receive this gift. How do we do it? By faith. By realising who we are and trusting in the Lord Jesus, and that is it. That is being brought into light. That is the darkness being dispelled. It's humbling, but it's also liberating because it isn't up to us to create the light. God is the source of light, and he has come, and he has so graciously offered us this gift in the Lord Jesus. This is why he came. This is his glory. He descended to us into darkness so that we might be brought into light. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Amen. Please stand.